0: Absolute uh, best to try to get through this in a, in a timely fashion, and is is the case, I'm going to do my best to not uh, to not rabbit trail too awful much to stay on. Yeah, I know. The, the laughter is, 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 is warranted. Amber, if you would please uh, help me dim- to distribute those, and thank you. And um, we're going to be talking tonight about. About worship, and to be honest with you, this is an easy topic for me to rabbit trail on, just because um, it it's been such a long it's been such a big part of my life, um, and um, not because I'm by any stretch of the imagination and authority on the topic, but just because I've been you know I've been involved in worship um, in corporate settings since I was thirteen, um, and so you know literally has been spent involved in worship. I'm going to restart this because for some reason it doesn't, doesn't like it. Um, I'm going to take that off the Wi-Fi. Eli, if you'd make sure for me, just periodically to, to double check and make sure we're live, and I'll try to keep an eye, an eye down here. I've got to keep one eye towards the eastern sky, obviously, but I've got one eye left then to keep towards the live stream. So, well, <clears throat> um, we're going to look, try to look at, to the best of, Amber, did you get one? Regina, did you get one? Did you? You did get Okay, good. Right. That looks like an old one. Did she recycle one? Okay. It's a little folded up now. Well Jesus just give Regina an extra blessing for the damage on her sheep, Father? Just bless her, Jesus. Where she has sacrificed one sheet, let her have a hundred more in Jesus' name. Thank you, Amber. That's so good. Yes. Get her, Jesus. Get her, Jesus. What this means. This is interesting. If somebody get uh, by chance? I'm going to grab my laptop because some of my. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Good stuff. <laughs> um, so I'm going to share with you um, kind of a, uh, an opening. I, I was able to do some, some writing um, on this topic, and, and so I'm just going to share with you a few things that, that we looked at. But the goal for tonight, if I can say that, is to attempt to, as the best we can, to make it clear why God wants us to worship. And that is such a broad topic that, um, you know, there's all kinds of things. You know, we're not, I'll, maybe I should start with what we're not going to get into, just so we, we kind of maybe carve our, 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 our thought out. We're not going to get into tonight the fact that we worship God because He's worthy. He is. That's not the point. We're we're not going to get into tonight that when we worship, um, we align ourselves with intercession because worship and prayer are married. We're not going to get into that. That's that's absolutely valid, um, but that's not what we're going to get into. We're not going to get into the fact that when that when we worship, we demonstrate something that we're going to be doing for all of eternity. That's something that's true as well. And in many ways, I think personally that in a framework and in a heart of worship we probably are most closely demonstrating what we're going to be doing for the rest of eternity that we can on this side of eternity. Does that make sense? We're, we're positioning our hearts maybe in the most close demonstration of what we'll be doing for the rest of eternity. But specifically, we're going to look at the threefold way that worship, I why I think God created us to be worshipers. The goal of worship is to establish one thing. Trust. Now, part of what we're going to do tonight is I'm purposely going to try to put you on your heels just a little bit and up in some stuff and then we'll try to dive into why I'm saying that. Part of what we have to understand about worship is I grew up in a mentality that said we worship God because He's worthy. And the challenge is there's a little bit of a mischaracterization that that causes. The first thing that we have to understand is, the Bible never says that God looks for worship. The Bible says He looks for worshipers. John chapter 4 indicates to us that God doesn't look for worship. He's not an egotist in need of our affirmation. He's not insecure in to make him feel better about himself. And if God created a need for worship, there's really no way to do that without being self-serving. So, much of what we have said through the years has been, I remember I had a t-shirt growing up that said, created to worship. And through the years, I would say things like, um, that I, I really didn't think that was accurate. I still, in the vein of how we've taught worship works, it's not accurate. You were not created just to tell God how wonderful He is. Because if you were created just to tell God how wonderful He is, then that means that God in some way was lacking an understanding or awareness of how wonderful He is. put post-it notes on your mirror so that, while, so that while you're brushing your teeth you can read a scripture that reminds you or, or good things about your identity and purpose because you need to be reminded of that God doesn't lack that he doesn't need those reminders so we are not in the vein of worship being to the uh, means to the end of God wanting to create how absolutely narcissistic do we think God is that if the purpose of worship is to tell him he's great, that he would, in, he would create entire galaxies, beings, and planets to only tell him he's great. How narcissistic do we think he is? So, I do believe now in some of the awarenesses that we have that we were created to worship. I just don't think we were created to worship because he's lacking awareness of his greatness. Uh, pattern that you oftentimes find in the Bible is very, very regularly you find fear and worship are, are linked in the Scripture. Many, many, many times in the Old Testament specifically you find fear and worship linked. Also, you tend to find worship and trust are linked. It is my opinion or suggestion that, that we should consider the idea that we, what we fear we will worship, and what we worship will showcase in what we trust. Okay, and so the first thing we have to do when we define this is to make sure that we understand what fear is all about. So <clears throat> I'm going to just try to read through this, and, and then we'll get we'll busy. What we fear will determine what we worship, and what we worship will be proven by what we trust. In the Scripture, there's often a connection between fear and worship. We should first understand what fear is. The word fear in the Old Testament is the word yare, or excuse me, y-a-r-e, yare. This word can be boiled down to this meaning, to consider something. See, the thing that we have to remember and the thing that kind of messes with people is the fact that we have been liberated from the spirit of fear. Okay, we get that, right? But what we oftentimes have to to process is that the enemy doesn't have the ability to create spirits. So, the spirit of fear is a misappropriation or a twisted version of what it was created to be in the first place. Because the enemy can't create spirits. So, if the devil, you realize the church has made, and well, the Christian bookstores have made millions on on all of these spirits that aren't ever really found in the Bible. And the truth of it is, there are, some of these things do exist, but when you actually look in the Bible, there's only like two negative spirits defined in the entire Bible. How many spirits? we got a spirit for everything. We've got the spirit of David for people who are worshipers. We've got the spirit of Ahab for guys who are lazy. We've got the spirit of Jezebel for any, any woman who's in any way knowing who they are and not a pushover. What I am interested to find is when somebody actually points out an individual who is a male who's functioning in the spirit of Jezebel then I'll believe that they know how to discern spirits spirits are not male or female and if you think for a moment that just because some woman knows who she is in the Lord and knows how to operate in the spirit as soon as that happens boom, religion starts identifying her as the spirit of Jezebel which is not scriptural the spirit of Jezebel attacks the prophets knows how to prophesy. You hear me? And if I can be really bold, this has nothing that I'm already doing. It has nothing to do with the notes. But the reality of it is, I honestly think that because of religion's misogynistic applications, the gift of God has been that women are more inclined to know how to search after him than men are. I think God's gift to women because of what the church, you will struggle to find an organization or a perspective or viewpoint that's still more misogynistic in its basis than religion. I mean, there's still major, major Christian organizations out there that say they're on the cutting edge and yet will not allow there to be women pastors. I read the other day that the, the main problem that has caused the issues in our country today, I actually read this, This I, I can't tell you who it is because you would all be like for the rest of the service going, oh my gosh. Because this is somebody that we, I have valued in the past. But this individual actually said that the, 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 within the church embracing men and women being equal in their ability and in their function and in their purpose on behalf of the Lord and the Spirit that the embrace of spiritual equality is what has caused the downfall and prevented us from, from reviving. And you know what God does? is He loves to level the playing field. He's drawn to the needy and the broken and the rejected and the hurting. So what He does, I think, is look around the room. Look around the room. intercessory group. Count the women and count the men. Yet you get a bunch of women together and and I can't figure out who of them gets to be Jezebel. You got 12 intercessors. They're all praying. I don't know if they take turns being Jezebel. You know, it's like a name tag. You just pass it around. So when you're looking at the idea of what worship does is worship, and I I apologize for rabbit trailing already, but what worship actually does is it's based on this yare, fear, which means to consider something. And in reality, the basis of fear in its manipulated fashion means that I'm considering myself. The negative connotation of fear is simply to consider yourself. That's what fear does. Fear causes you to make a decision based on the consideration of yourself. Love causes you to make a decision based on the consideration of something or someone else. Every decision we have in life is based out of fear or love. That's all it is. That's why we get to lay down our rights. That's why we get to be the living sacrifices. All that stuff is where we step out of consideration of ourselves. However, enter the fear of the Lord... That is totally messed up in the church. Most people think the fear of the Lord is where we just get scared of Jesus. Seriously, if you I would I would suggest that most Christians cannot describe the fear of the Lord and not use the word afraid. And and the truth of it is doesn't really even have as much to do with reverence as we think, because we have a misunderstanding of what reverence means. Our fe- Our thought process of reverence has a very natural and humanistic viewpoint. And so as soon as we start thinking about God the way we treat in reverence, the way we treat one another, or somebody that we respect in reverence, we've already missed the point. So literally, when it's defined, there are two ways for the fear of the Lord to be perceived for those that are unwilling to surrender the fear of the lord will be perceived as an overwhelming by our uh, as an overwhelming feeling by our lack of nature and cause us to run away a, excuse me a lack in our nature and what will happen is it will cause us to run away this is a product of looking at ourselves as the subject of the encounter here's what i mean by that god comes in the room the fear of the Lord automatically comes with him. However, if you remain as the focus or subject of that encounter, all it's going to do is allow you to perceive and see your lack rather than his abundance, and it will cause you to want to run away. The second perspective is... For those who are willing to surrender, that's the whole point, it will be perceived as being overwhelmed by his abundance and the abundance of goodness, greatness, and glory, and his nature as a product of looking at him as the subject of the encounter. Anytime you encounter the Lord and your primary focus is you, you're not going to get it. And so, every, the, the basis of worship, we're talking about worship here. Let me remind you that worship has nothing to do with music. It really doesn't. In fact, I almost, I, I almost stay away from, I, I have a frustration with the idea of what we call our worship services. Because in reality, worship is something, scripturally speaking, worship is, must legally cost you something. If worship doesn't cost you something, then it's not worship. That's the way it works. And so, quite frankly, if I can be really honest, scripturally speaking, our tithes and offerings time is probably more of a close spiritual depiction of worship than our singing time. If we were designed to function in the fear of the Lord, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? In that negative connotation to fear, meaning to consider yourself, the first thing we have to understand is to worship correctly means that we fear the Lord or that we consider Him as the primary subject of every encounter. Those encounters are supposed to be something that operates from the framework of worship and that always costs us something. And within that, The goal of worship is then to move into trust. In fact, what I would like to suggest to you is that when you encounter the Lord, the fear of the Lord is where we consider His nature for the purpose of the Lord instilling and establishing within us trust. So do you want to know why we worship? We actually don't worship because He's worthy, even though He is. We worship, and we were designed to be worshipers because he wants to establish trust with us. It is from this vantage point that we are empowered to think creatively within the confines of his lordship. There is actually more liberty in the lordship than there is outside doing what I want. Here's the wild thing about how this actually works. It's the logic of the kingdom that says there's actually more room inside the house than there is outside of the house. It's the logic of the kingdom where we come into worship and see him and have an encounter with him and are drawn into seeing his nature. Because in the midst of his nature, I can see what he's called me to be. Because part of what we do is, as we see Him, we're going to look at the Scripture, but we're made like Him. So do you realize that it's His love that has actually designed us as worshipers, not so that He can be told how great He is, but so that we have the opportunity to see Him and be made like Him and then trust Him, and the way we then walk in the world is supposed to be a demonstration of where our trust is. Ultimately, the way this works is, you can come into church during a sing-along time and the music is playing and it is rip-roaring and you can be have your hands to the sky and be declaring to God how great He is and dancing your shoes off and if you don't walk away with a greater measure of trust, it's not been worshipped. And that sounds condemning. It's just the reality. My, and let me let me say this. I should have said this at the beginning. My goal is not to shame anybody. I'm not, this is not condemning. I want this to be freeing for us because unfortunately what's happened is we have so framed because worship has become, and here's the way the enemy works, and here's the way religion works, the answer, is to take something that is to redefine our identity and establish us as those that demonstrate his nature to the world and some way retrofitted into something that feels good and appeases us but never changes who we are that's what that's what the enemy does and that's what honestly the spirit of religion does and so worship now has become a very cultural hot button and so what happens is we then have frameworks in our, in our mind where we think as soon as the music stops worship is over. Then we've got this whole other framework over here that says everything I do is worship. Well, no, it's not. I mean, I'm just being honest. Everything I do is worship. Now, what we say is, "Well, it's as unto the Lord." I really don't like that saying. I really don't. It's just something that's always been irritating to me because somebody says, you know, as an example, I don't know, you're you're pulling into Walmart and, and there's um, a, a car coming for the other direction. You have two choices. You can either like quickly whip into that open spot, or you can stop and go. You know what? They've got a handicap sticker. I'm going to let them have that closer spot. I can, I can walk, right? And when, and as soon as we do the thing that should be just natural human kindness, our immediate reac- reaction is, "It's as unto the Lord." What? That doesn't make any sense. Yes, everything we should do should be unto the Lord, but that doesn't make it worship really doesn't. It does not make it worship. So what we do is we then inherit, because here's the point, is it should bring us into a, a real awareness of who he is in the fear of the Lord. In fact, if you actually look at the scriptures in the Old Testament, you find that fear or a, a recognition of lack, if I can use that term, is what always preceded the people of Israel beginning to worship other gods. What would happen is they would feel like their crops were not producing, going to produce the harvest they needed. So what they would do is they would embrace one of the other gods from the heathen tribes or heathen nations that, that represented the uh, uh, fruitfulness of crop. They would do that. Why? Because you will worship what you fear. Worships. Everybody worships. Some people worship their family. Some people worship their job. Some people worship a hobby that they have. Some people worship their. Um, some people worship themselves. Honestly, you want to know the greatest, and it has nothing to do with like having an idol that you bow down before, you know. But you know what? You know the easiest test to see if somebody worships himself and not. The test anybody else. I'm saying test yourself. It's not like you're laying a fleece out for the guy up the street. I'm just checking on you. No, the the, the easiest way to check is most control freaks worship themselves. Why? Because they're the only thing they trust in. Do you trust, do you worship your job? The easy answer is do you trust in your job or do you trust that he's a provider? When the offering plate comes around, do you get offended or do you get into generosity? If you get offended, you worship money. That's where your trust is. It's very simple. It really is very, very simple. And everybody goes, well, I just like to worship whenever I hear, you know, shouts of the Lord. Well, that may really be a moving thing for us, but that's not what it means. The Old Testament word for worship literally means to lay on your face in commitment to something in the New Testament word for worship means to kiss in fact to kiss the hand of the master and so when we're talking about it it has to do with saying i'm willing to lay something down so that i can demonstrate this nature and i would venture to say that you can literally look at your heart and evaluate the places where negative applications of fear are prevalent trust is going to be lacking here's the beauty. So, let me let me really try to make this as visual as I can. Fear is here. This is where we fear something, whether we fear pain, whether we fear rejection, whether we fear, you know, whatever it might be, whatever it is. There is a trust component that is missing that causes fear to be able to have control. This is the mercy and the grace of a good father that says the way I get you from here to trust is worship. Look with me, if you will, at First uh, John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse 1. Notice that you don't have any scriptures on your sheet that use the word worship. I did that on purpose, just in case you're curious why. Because uh, there's so many teachings out there on worship that you could, you know, Close your eyes and throw a dart, and you're going to hit somebody that's talking about worship. 1 John 3:1 Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in Even as he is pure. So, the, the truth of it is, the way this is supposed to work in worship is when we see him, we're made like him. And so, what happens is, I've got issues. In those issues, the reason those issues exist is because of a lack of trust, always. You cannot demonstrate his nature in an avenue of your heart where trust doesn't reign supreme. Because as soon as you're faced with loss, lack, or disappointment, it will demonstrate where your trust lies. And so what happens is, then fear is that thing where it's not meaning just to be afraid, guys. It means to consider something. So what are you primarily considering? What am I primarily considering at those moments? Am I considering my lack? Or am I considering His faithfulness? And in the midst of that, what He says is, the way to get from fear, where I consider primarily my lack, to get into trust, where I consider primarily His faithfulness, is worship. Why? Because we consider Him at that moment, and when we see Him, we're made like Him. You get it? When we see Him, we're made like Him. So the purpose of any time of worship whatever that worship may be. And it can be the singing. It's okay to be that, but not exclusively, of course. And so whatever the purpose, any encounter with him, the point of that encounter is because he recognizes as a good father, he says, okay, look, when I designed you, I designed you primarily to be worshipers. That's what he looks for. The Bible actually says that God seeks for worshipers. Why do you think? worshipers, because he seeks for people who will position themselves to see him and then demonstrate his nature. It's just that simple. He doesn't seek for people who will tell him how great he is. He doesn't seek for people who will get on their knees and cry out that he's holy. He's not lacking for that. What he's lacking for is he's lacking for it to be Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's supposed to be our job to demonstrate to the nations that he is everything they need. And I honestly believe that people could see God for who he is, our churches would have to be open 24 hours a day. The problem is we've been telling people these other things. And you may not have ever opened your mouth to tell them, but you've shown them, we've shown them these other things. Today, but um, the, the um, Austin bomber um, is, is now deceased. Um, in the process of him capturing him, he, he actually detonated a bomb and, and is, uh, is now deceased. But they've actually found that um, that he was a very outspoken Christian. Where he got his training in self-defense was a, a group called. of something truth. And it was a, a homeschool Christian group that, that got together and did a Bible study but then it became fascinated with um, like uh, survivalist kind of stuff where you learn to you know, I don't know, I guess it's what they're doing now with the leftover white tea k supplies. Um, but um, but the, you know, they're, that's that's going to be honest with you guys, we have to remember, that's not us. But the world doesn't know how to separate that He's not us. And that's a hard truth, but it's still the truth. And, And the reality is, in those ways, what we have demonstrated, not we, but the big we, have demonstrated to the world is not a God that would want them or not a God No, not a God that's interested in them first of all second of all not a God that would cause them to be inclined to come running into him. and you realize that the New Testament description of what worship is is to kiss him there is a romance that's there he wants to know us in that way we mentioned this the, I think a couple of weeks ago but do you realize that in the Old Testament there is no word for presence the word for presence literally means to be face-to-face with him. It is impossible for him to be face-to-face with us and him not be in the room. It's impossible. One One of the things that I'm still trying to figure out in my mind, I'm not there yet, I'll let you know. But one of the things I'm trying to figure out in my mind is how is it possible that whenever he comes, he doesn't in a portion or percentage of himself, but it's all of him every time. I don't, I can't get my head around it totally, but the idea that when he comes in the room, it's 100% of him every time he comes in the room. And so the challenge then becomes, why is it that I feel it more sometimes than others? It's a me problem, not a him problem. Doesn't stick his toe in the room, and we cry out for his presence, and that literally means him in the room. The, you know another word for uh, a word we use around Christmas time a lot? Emmanuel, God with us. That word, in in just the most basic uh, sense, is presence. God in the room, and there's and he's. It's not a little bit of him; it's a hundred percent of him every single time, because he holds nothing back. And so when we see this, that we would be made like Him, that's the point. His presence in the room. So what happens when we welcome His presence is we welcome Him in the room so that we can behold Him and be made like Him. There is no greater gift that God could give than to create us with a design to innately be worshipers, knowing that when we engage in worship, we have the opportunity to be more and more conformed into His image because we're beholding He literally created us to be wired to do what we're needing to do to correct what we're in lack of. That's a pretty incredible father. He literally wired us to be worshipers, knowing that worship is what was going to take to get us right. That's just incredible. It's, it's like, it's, it's this thought that he says, I already know your deficiencies, and I've created you and hardwired you in a way to deal with your deficiencies if you'll just allow me to do it. Isn't that great? That's just how he is. I love that. I love that. Another passage actually says, another New Testament passage actually says, as we see him, we become like him. So it's not just when we see him, it's also as we see him. What as we see him means is it's not off in the distance. That scripture has been relegated to rapture theology for far too long. When we see him, we'll be made like him. is not what happens when you meet him in the eastern sky. What's when you see him, you'll be made like him is the fact that he... Do you realize that between the the, the crucifixion and, and Jesus' ascension, he appeared 11 times? Why? Because he loves to appear, and in doing so, give showcasings of who he is so that people can step into who they're supposed to be. Any identity about yourself that hasn't come as a direct result of an encounter where you learn more about the identity of him should be questioned. It's just that simple. So, let's look quickly at First uh, Corinthians 13. I've got like a... 1 Corinthians 13 says, "For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity; these three, but the greatest of these is charity." So this thought is is a little bit fascinating to me because when we, I, I, I this has been on my mind actually quite a bit um, this passage specifically, and it's it's interesting primarily because. This thought of of knowing as I am known is interesting. Once again, we've relegated this to the afterlife, to eternity. But knowing as we are known, what I would like to suggest to you is this does not rely on just the Bible. My opinion, has anybody ever heard of C. S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis said that one of the greatest dangers of the postmodern church was trying to turn the Bible into a deity. Us worshiping the Bible as if it was him, what he considered one of the greatest dangers of the modern church. Why? Because what happens is, as soon as God tries to do something, we say, Well, show me that in Scripture. You know what my favorite the verse for that is? Psalms 115. God does whatever he pleases. He just does whatever he pleases. And he really doesn't ask us our opinion. Why? Because in the midst of that, the goal is always to draw us into an encounter whereby we can be made like him. And for we know, even as we are known, oftentimes what happens is, because of a misunderstanding of identity or what we are known as, will limit what we can know. You know even as you're known. If your knowing, meaning who you're known as in your heart is lacking, then you will also lack in what you can understand or what you can allow him to do. It's just that simple. So why does he then bring us into these encounters? He brings us into these encounters because we know in part, we prophesy in part and there is a requirement that hinges us upon one another. where we consider Him above all else, and then worship leads to trust. And in that, we begin to know as we're known. We begin to see the identity that He's called us to. And part of the generic nature of the identity He's called us to, we've said the identity we're called to is to be intercessors. That's true. We've said the identity we're called to is to be worshipers. That's true. We've said the identity we're called to be is people that study the Bible. All of that is true, but if that's all you know yourself as, that's like the... the, the, yourself as a soldier who just knows your badge number. He wants more than that, is my point. Do you realize that scripturally speaking, it's very, 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 very rare. I almost put this on Instagram and I got to of it to man. Uh, But um, do you realize that scripturally speaking, that very rarely is there ever army examples about who we are. Most of the examples about who we are and how we come together are defined in the scripture as family, not army. It's very rarely military. But as soon as you get saved, what do we say? We're in what? The Lord's army. Yes, sir. That's what we do. Why? Because that's what we've been taught, and we get, we get in this army thing, and then we, we can't figure out why conformity is immediately a byproduct of what happens when you join church. Why? Because guess what they do in the military? you got the same haircut, you got the same clothes, you get up at the same time, you go to bed at the same time, you look at the same stuff, you talk the same way, you do the same thing. It's all about conformity. So when we try to take a military mindset, which is never how we're supposed to exist, and apply it to church, then we wonder why we can never get into real unity, because until we get past conformity, we won't get into unity. Conformity cannot exist where diversity is not celebrated. And so what we have to recognize is that he wants to get us past, because Conformity says either you get it or you don't, and you better figure it out because you're on your own. That's what they do. In the military, there's nobody there trying to encourage you. In family, we shore one another up. In family, we encourage and celebrate one another. In family, we actually have this ability where even when somebody's trust in what God has called them to be is wavering, we have an ability to speak into that and to call that forward. Do you realize, I think I've actually, yeah, do you realize that the idea of singing to God and not just about God has only been active in church for around 30 years? i say it again. Do you realize that the idea of singing to God and not just singing about God has only been active in the church for about 30 years? That's not a very long time when you consider that sing about Him. We could sing how good He was, great is His faithfulness, all of that stuff, but then to actually engage with Him and to have license and liberty to sing and speak to His heart and to encounter and engage with Him is something that's totally foreign to most people. Why? Because the enemy has no issue with you talking about how good God is as long as you never encounter His goodness. That's why for years I had an aversion to things like saying, talking a lot about God's goodness and His faithfulness, because those were cliché terms that I was, ta- I was always heard growing up, but never lived. Do you realize the difference is our children are not going to have to live and and allow their faith to operate based on the miracles we've told them about. They're going to grow up within the miracles they've experienced. That's the point he's trying to bring us into this encounter thing that we literally say, Father, whatever it is you want to do, I, I'm engaging in that. And in within that, he brings us into Thanksgiving. We have to first understand Thanksgiving. In this passage, uh, whenever we're looking at this idea of being known and knowing, the, the, the idea of this is, how do we get into Thanksgiving? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you just quickly Psalms. on your sheep, talks about entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. One of the things about that passage that really gets me is if you found that passage in, in the epistles, we would probably actually do something about it. There's a lot of stuff in the Psalms that we just kind of relegate to not really needing, but if Paul said something. During his courts, it, it is, uh, in fact, two verses previous to that specific verse. It talks about how we come into him in worship. So there is this progression of, of, of uh, thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And he desires to bring us into a greater and greater point of encounter with him. And the encounter with him starts with thanksgiving. Why? Because the gate of every encounter with him is thanksgiving. As soon as you get out of thanksgiving, you have lost the battle. I've even been doing these weird. I told you guys I do weird experiments with me, just to see if, it's, if it works. Um, so I had this thing where I, I started started um, getting sick, and so I, I, I sent my sister a text and asked her to uh, to get out her big pot and and stick. I'm sorry. And uh, and and um, and I said, you know, I'm. Good, there's been a bunch of people sick at work. Toss and I are traveling this weekend. Oftentimes, when you travel, you know, we you just get sick. So I thought, I, and I was I was feeling worse and worse. So um, by last night, I really didn't have a voice, and, and, um, and I, I knew I had a fever and stuff. I like thought, all right. So I said, I'm going to try something totally different. I'm not actually going to pray for healing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give thanks and praise and Because the scripture says that he inhabits our praise. Literally, I I know this, uh, please understand, I know this is off point, but it's on point. That literally when you say that, that he inhabits our praises, the best description I can give you is that it literally means we at that point are building or constructing something. It's almost like building a room for somebody to move into until the room's been built. He inhabits our praises literally means that our praise and thanksgiving constructs something that he can fill. I know it's weird just telling us what it says. So what I started doing was getting into that. So I spent the, the better part of the afternoon last night and this morning just giving him thanks. By like 9.30 or 10 o'clock this morning, my sore throat was completely gone, I've had to keep Kleenex by me for the last, you know, like 14 hours. Um, I've not taken any medicine, just better. Tasha asked me how I felt. I was like, I feel great. Why? Because in his presence is healing. So I don't even have to address the healing if I can just give him thanks for the fact that when he comes, healing is a result. I know it's goofy. And I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm not talking. Worship is not the means to the end. It's the end. So I'm not saying we worship so we can get something out of it. But I do believe there is something to this where we can get further. Why? Because it's about where my trust was. And at that moment, my trust wasn't right. My trust was lacking that he was going to be able to do that. So rather than focusing on, Father, heal me, heal me, heal me, where my focus would have been in the lack of healing that I was currently feeling, where I felt like, you know, not so good. There's apply whatever euphemism fits. Uh, or I felt poorly that I was able to in some ways step into and say Father help me to trust because I and what I literally started doing was I started rehearsing all of your testimonies. Why? Because if he does it for you he's going to do it for me. And it builds faith and it changes that atmosphere because we enter his gates we enter his courts and then in the midst of worship we encounter him we become the sacrifice upon the altar that we lay down, Father, whatever you want to do, I'm worshiping you, not because I need something, but because you're worthy and in the midst of him then coming. Healing is an automatic result. I, I, I know it sounds goofy, that it's just that way. And I would encourage you, uh, I made a note about this, that I would encourage you to also make sure that you're doing so in that when we need to have a heart of thanksgiving. I'm going to close with this. We need to have a heart of thanksgiving. People that have hearts of Thanksgiving are just, thankful hearts are just better to be around. There's nobody that, if you want to see me pull away, get critical. I just have no time for that. I have no use for that. That is not an environment or atmosphere I want to be around. People that are just thankful in their heart is something. Why? Because that attracts you. Know, there's just something to that. However, Thanksgiving, there are some things that can be accessed only by vocally making an expression that in our heart isn't enough. I don't know why, it's just that way. And I would encourage you to make sure that as you do that, one of the things that I have started doing is, in within Pentecostal circles especially, we have a tendency that when we say, let's just sing and get thanks to the Lord, that we automatically go into tongues and diversities of tongues. There's nothing wrong with that. I encourage you to do that. The Scripture says very clearly uh, in, in the book of Corinth, Speak in tongues, we're speaking the mysteries of God, and in Acts 2, it says that when we speak to God uh, in in tongues, that we're we're speaking of the marvelous works of God. So I believe in praising and praying in tongues clearly. However, I do believe that sometimes if our default is only to be in tongues, then we sometimes miss the mental thing that he's wanting to do in restoring. Through our mental cognitive capacities. I know that's weird because we've been talking, we talk all the time about praying and being intercessors and speaking in tongues. What I'm saying is there is an area that I have learned. I'm praying now more than I've ever prayed in my entire life. And I also am praying now more in English than I've ever prayed in English life. doesn't mean that if I was, I'm using examples here, doesn't mean that if I was praying for two hours before and, and uh, you know, all in tongues but now it's an hour in English and an hour in tongues. What I'm saying is if I was praying for two hours before every day now I'm praying for four, two hours are in English, two hours are in tongues. So hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that my tongue praying oh, in I'm not pr- saying that my praying in the Spirit has diminished. What I'm saying is I've learned that there is something that only gets engaged. Why? Because he says that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if my mind never engages into the equation because it's always by the Spirit, then there's some things that just don't get touched. And I need my mind to be restored and renewed and cleansed. I need it to be where my mind thinks in line with how he Only ever thanking him in tongues I'm just never going to get there Last thing I'm going to say Um, bird dogs, specifically um, like for pheasant hunting and quail hunting, things like that. And um, that what they're they're called pointers, you know. Oftentimes, um, but I was reading a story, and what this guy was talking about is this dog. He was he he bought the dog. I think it was six or eight months old he got it. And um, he said that he got it to the to his house, and already um, what what he did was he took uh, a, a pheasant, maybe it was a wing or Sure, it wasn't a real pheasant. For those of you who are immediately you know, whatever. So, uh, something pheasant-scented, um, and put it on a fishing pole, and would use that to go around the yard. And as soon as the dog smelled it, what they do is they would point their nose at that thing. This is a six or eight-week-old dog. It's had zero training, and because it's instinctual to do that. So he said, what they did next is they took that dog and they put it through training. Why? Because instinct is not enough. In the spirit, we all have instincts. However, training and discipline is part of how we get to where we can function correctly and adequately. You can have a horse that knows how to jump a fence, but after training it knows how to jump a fence with purpose. Definitions of this when you look at the Old Testament scriptures is meekness. Meekness is literally control of strength. Meekness is an inclination that has been trained and honed to operate at the will of the master. So they take this dog and he goes he goes to hunting school and goes through all that stuff. And uh, he comes back, and one of the things they did next was they started working on team hunting because what they would do is they put him out in a field and it runs across the field. And as soon as it smells the bird, it stops, and it, it lifts its paw, it and it turns its, its nose towards where the, the birds are. It points that out. There's this deeper level thing. That's instinctual to them. What's not instinctual is that when they do team dog hunting, team dog hunting is what they call a brace hunting, where there's a second dog, they'll run back and forth, and what do is it will actually recognize, so if dog A smells something and stops and points, dog B may not have smelled the bird yet, but it recognizes that a bird has been identified and it stops and points at the other dog. This is actually called honoring He really wants us to do within honoring correctly in this house is he's trying to get us to a place where we honor what it is the Lord's doing, even if we're not the one that it's happening to. And oftentimes, the best barometer for what's happening in the room may not be what you're feeling, but it may be what somebody else is feeling. And so I, I experienced this a couple times and I try to really watch this. Um, there's sometimes, as an example, during prayer, I'll, I'll be praying and I'm, I'm thinking about what it is the Lord maybe wants to do or wants to share. And within that environment, um, I can somewhat be distracted to what He's doing in the environment here. And what I automatically try to do is if I'm, I'm walking, I'm just thinking about what He's done what He wants to say through the teaching, as an example. What I've really been trying to do is recognize that as soon as somebody else feels, senses, smells, recognizes him in the room, they point. It's my job to honor their point and to change my focus from anything other than the fact that he's in the room. That's how we get to the point that when the when the woman with the oil broke her box feet and that oil washed over him. That's how we get to the point where in our churches in a worship environment where oftentimes what happens unwittingly is we take the wildest person in the room and the rest of us rein them back to moderate them to what we're doing rather than allowing them to be the one who points that he's in the room and we may not feel it but we point that he's in the room because this one said he's in the room They have now changed the temperature. I now have to adjust to that. I don't tame their expression. I allow their expression to make me more wild. Things will cause us to allow these fractures to be corrected because He's designed you not to worship but to be a worshiper. And that may have nothing to do with singing, that may have nothing to do with music. It has everything to do with what is your focus going to be and what are you going to consider. And in the midst of that, Him in a greater way. Because unlike, you know, that's why you find adultery and idolatry is always linked in the Old Testament. Because it's what are you linking yourself to? What are you partnering with? Okay? So I I encourage you, there's a whole bunch more that we can talk about um, within this. But I know that for us, what worship is has to be clear so that we understand it's not just about it's not just about the songs. It's not just about the singing. And it's also not just because everything we do is because we want it. It's good. We should. But what it should be about is how can I allow more and more of who I am to demonstrate more and more of who he is? Because when I see him in an encounter, I become like him. And I need to do a better job out there at demonstrating Thank you that you have designed us and called us to be worshipers. There really is no other other way to put it. Father, you have called us as worshipers that have the privilege of seeking for you. And as odd as it may sound, Father, you seek for worshipers. It's one of the few things in the Bible that it says you seek for. And so we ask you that you would help us, Father, to see you, made like you, knowing that every time we see you, every time we encounter you, every time your presence is here, we have the opportunity to allow our identity of what you've called us to be to become clarified and to become illuminated and to become more and more imparted. That literally every encounter we have should cause us to greater, to more and more and more conform to your image. Help us, Father, to embrace that, that in a worship time, it's not just about us telling you how great you are, because you are great. But, Father, the intention is that every worship time I would more and more conform to the image of who you are, and I would be able to demonstrate that, and in a measurable way. We're looking for measurable demonstrations of you. We're looking for measurable demonstrations of who you are in your presence in the world, where Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And that we would be hope for the hopeless in the midst of that. That we would be healing for the hurting in the midst of that. That we would be deliverance for the bound in the midst of that. That, Father, whatever it is people need, it's found in your presence. There is no problem or question in the world that the answer does not already exist in your mind. Help us, Father, that we can live with that reality and recognition and demonstrate it to the world. Because you are the answer. And we thank you, Father. And we love you. And we declare over this house that this is going to be a house of worshipers. That we're not going to stop short with feeling or with form, but that we will step into a trust in you. Whereby when the world looks at us, there's going to be something different. doesn't mean problems don't exist. It just means we know how to weather the storm because our trust is not in that thing, but it's only found in you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. Don't forget this Sunday. Ashley and Eli are um, are leading worship, and uh, Pastor Bill is going to be speaking. And then Thursday, um, a week from tonight, Noah is going to be um, is going to be speaking. And so you guys are going to uh, get a reprieve from me two two services in a row. Uh, and um, and then also make sure to bring a testimony. Uh, Uh, you share that on Sunday, okay? God bless you. Have a great night.